0: Right now, some of the buzz around Colorado is a little premature. You can make all the right steps, but there's still a possibility that you go out there in what is an improved league from top to bottom and go 4-8. Always College Football with Greg McElroy is presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hello and welcome in. Today is Monday, January 23rd, and we hope that you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show. It's the off season. We're one week in. We're halfway through our previews. Our previews will continue today, and today is the Pac-12. We did the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12 last week. Granted, a bit of a shifting landscape in each of those three leagues, including the Big 12. We talked about BYU's entrance in Houston and UCF and Cincy. They're no longer in the group of five, which will be our preview for the Friday edition here of Always College Football. So for all of us here, we appreciate you being with us. It's been a fun start so far. When we fast forward a little bit more, we're going to start diving into the intricacies of the rosters themselves. Right now, we're just doing big picture, treetop, just kind of, hey, a couple things to notice, a couple things to take a peek at, no big deal. In February, we start to address a little bit about what's gone on in recruiting and then we'll finalize because at that point, maybe they'll be finalized. I don't know. We'll finalize some of the portal. Guys have left, guys that are coming. Of course, recruiting at that point will be completely finished. So February will be busy. March, we start going to spring ball. April, spring games. May, draft. We got all kinds of stuff coming up here in the next couple months. But right now, treetop editions of our Power 5 and Group of 5 previews. Today is the Pac-12. It's one of the most intriguing conferences in the sport right now. Probably more intriguing today than it's been at any point in the last several years. I would also say, too, we're going to get into some mailbag questions. We're going to get to some news and notes. It is Monday, after all, and a lot's happened in the last few days in college football. So let's not waste any more time. It's time for Let's Talk About It, presented by AT&T 5G. All right, the Pac-12 heading into 23 might be as deep as it's been in quite some time. You look at SC. Utah, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, UCLA. It's as good as it's been in a while, y'all. And I'm telling you, man, that's not even talking about the big... I guess, Buffalo in the room, if you will, which might be the biggest storyline of the entire offseason, that being what's going on in Boulder, Colorado. So I think right now, the Pac-12 is as good as it's been in a while. You can talk about quality, you can talk about depth, you can talk about, well, they don't really have a great team at the top. Who cares? Is it entertaining? Heck yeah. And do they have a playoff contender? We will find out here in the next couple minutes or so. Because I think there's one, maybe two, and who knows? If a guy pans out here or there, maybe there's three. Either way, we're talking about a league that just saw Chip Kelly win nine games. We're talking about a league that had a Heisman Trophy winner. We're talking about a league that returns a handful of quarterbacks, one being the Heisman Trophy winner. Bo Nix was in the mix there for a little bit. Cam Rising at Utah coming off the injury. He's in the mix. Michael Penix, probably the most underappreciated quarterback in the mix, but Look at what he did last year. You can make a case he had as good a year as anybody not named Caleb Williams in the entire country, let alone the Pac-12, and then I didn't even have a chance to get to him yet. How about the fact that DJ Uyangale now back on the West Coast as what might be the quarterback of Oregon State? More on him here in just a minute. You look at the schedule. It was released recently. A couple of interesting things, a couple of interesting non-conference games like Oregon and Texas Tech. That's an interesting one, right? I mean, who would have seen that? But either way... There's some pretty good things scattered throughout the schedule. But either way, no matter how you look at it, top to bottom, this league is very intriguing. And we always start our little conference breakdowns by kind of looking at how many contenders are there. Well, we've gotten through a handful of leagues, this being our fourth. And we've never gone this far down the rabbit hole of possible contenders. (laughs) You ready for them? I think Oregon State's a contender. I think Oregon's a contender. I think Washington's a contender, even though Utah lost a decent piece, a decent amount of pieces. I think they're a contender. We obviously know USC is a contender. You know, that's half the league for the most part. And we're talking also about a guy that, you know, might wave the magic wand and Kenny Dillingham. Remember his, one of its protege. I mean, he's a protege of Gus Malzahn who in year one took Auburn from what? Three and nine to runners up in the national champion. So I'm like, I'm not predicting that, okay? I'm not saying that Arizona State's going to the natty. All right, don't worry. I'm not going to go that far. I'm just saying that it's an intriguing league, and there is an awful lot of upward mobility. You could be a team that goes 4-8 and to within one game away from winning the conference and one game away from potentially getting to the college football playoff. Now, you need to have a Heisman Trophy winner uh, come in. You need to have a great coach come in. But, hey, anything's possible in the Pac-12. Let's start at the top. The Utah Utes, they of course are the defending two time, defending Pac-12 champs. They're 10 and 4 this past year. Everyone left with a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth after last season. Understandably so. It was disappointing to watch them in the Rose Bowl play the way they played, and to see Cam Rising go down in the process made it all the more difficult to kind of consume, if you will. Of course, the big pieces that you have to replace Dalton Kincaid. At tight end, maybe your best playmaker. You got Clark Phillips at corner. Maybe your best defensive playmaker. Diabate at linebacker. I mean, a handful of guys that you got to replace off this past year team. But if you look at it, man, this has been a program that is just consistently consistent. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Utah is in a great position to get to the college football playoff. I'm not going there this year. I'm just not. I refuse to take the bait. They might be the maybe the most stable foundation in the entire league. But look at their schedule. I mean, they might have the toughest schedule ever. Florida's at their place to start the season. You got Baylor after that. You're at SC. You're at Washington. I mean, it's it's a grind if you're the Utah Utes. So, hey, could they possibly cycle up and get it again? I wouldn't bet against them. But at the same time, it might be more difficult this year than it's been in quite some time. Let's talk about the runners-up. USC Trojans probably going to come into this upcoming season as the favorites in the league. How could they not be? But you do lose a couple very important pieces, most notably Jordan Addison, of course, outstanding wide receiver. Tui Pelotu along the defensive line, his ability will not be easy to replicate. You look at some of the other guys that were in there as well. They do lose a handful of guys that were key contributors. Now, Caleb Williams is superhuman. I get it. He's not going to be, you know... He's not going to be in a position where, oh, man, they lose a receiver. There goes the offense. Like, No, we know that's not going to happen. I mean, we saw Travis die for instance, go down last year. Hey, plug and play. They're going to be just fine. This is a group that I expect to continue to excel on that side of the ball. But when you take everything else into consideration, there are question marks on defense, man. And you can tell me all you want. About the guys they've added. Look at the pieces that they've added. Yeah, they went out and they got a, you know, Malachi Nelson. He's the next era parent after Caleb Williams. And you got these wide receivers that are coming in and Branch and Lemon. You got all these guys, these playmakers that all want Dorian Singer. I mean, it's like they, they got guys on offense, but when are they going to go out and find a complete game record defensively? Now, Tui Pelotu was at times that guy for him last year, but my questions with USC will continue until I know for certain they're going to take a decent step on the defensive side of the football. Look, I think that they're going to win games. I think they're going to have a crazy exciting product to watch. And I think it's great that USC's back being in the mix for the college football playoff. But y'all, we got to see growth on that side of the ball. Yes. Last year, they did a phenomenal job turning people over. A phenomenal job. How many different games were just gift-trapped from the opponent given to SC after long drives, but hey, there's a turnover, interception, fumble, whatever. I mean, at one point, they were like plus 20 in the turnover margin. It was absurd. That is difficult to replicate. So I would like a little bit more productivity on that side of the ball because you know the offense is going to score points. Now what happens on the defensive side of the football? Everybody and their brother wanted Alex Grinch gone. Yeah, I get that. But you look at the personnel he was trying to take the field with and the fact that they did run into a couple of tricky offenses to prepare for, it's hard for me to blame Alex Grinch for the shortcomings of what SC had. I think it was more of a personnel issue than it was a scheme issue. And that's why it was clear for Lincoln Riley that Alex Grinch needed to be retained. Let's see another year in the system. If there's no progress made in 23, then it might be time to turn over some of the things going on on that side of the ball. Other teams that are in major consideration, one of my favorite teams in the country, I'm going to love them all offseason. You heard it here first. Remember, I loved TCU last year. Told you about a couple other teams I loved last year that ended up having great years. This is the team this year that I think will come in under the radar. But then again, at the end of the year, we're going to be sitting there in November. They're going to be 9-1. and and You're going to say, goodness gracious, Washington's rolling. Yep, I love the Huskies. Michael Penix, he's back for another year with Kalen DeBoer. You look at what else they return. They do lose a couple pieces. They lose a couple guys along the offensive line. You lose Wayne Talapapa, great running back there, guy that did an awful lot for him. You lose a couple of key pieces on the defensive front. Jeremiah Martin is an example of that. Cam Bright at the second level, another guy that will be difficult to replace. But if you look at what happened, man, everyone wanted to talk about what, sc did four and eight to one in one game of a conference title and a national championship possibility yeah well y'all do you realize that washington was four and eight two in 2021 Kalen DeBoer gets in they go 11 and two seven and two in the pac 12 and uh there were a couple games in which they had it on their racket man i think this team has a chance to be outrageously explosive now panics Probably going to come back. Got a chance to be a first-round pick next year, perhaps. He's got a huge arm. Got a ton of tools. Great mobility. I do think that he's got a chance to really elevate. Now, he's going to need some pieces around him. The defense, in particular, I think is a little underrated. This is a group that's really not that bad. A lot of people say, well, look at the you know look at the pieces they've given up. Look at all this. I tell you what, you look at Trice on the outside. You look at some of the other guys. This is a group up front that can make life difficult on you. Now, are they as good as you know, the Vita Vea led 2016 team, probably not, you know, where you have Greg Gaines and Vita Vea. No, like they're probably not as good as that group, but this is a group in the front seven that does a decent job. And are they really going to be in the mix to win a national championship? I'm not sure I'm going to go that far, but I'm telling you, man, they need to be under consideration when evaluating the possibility of them winning the league and ultimately getting to the college football playoff. I think it's a real possibility. I do for the Washington Huskies. This year, but it totally centers around Michael Penix and his ability to continue to elevate that offense to heights that we saw just last year. Oregon State's another team that everyone needs to be conscious of. This is a team that can flat out go. And you look at it now. It got a lot. Ten and three last season. OK, you're going to sit there and say, well, ten and three, you know, that's that's good year. Good job, Oregon. Go oh, Beavers. Yeah, good way. Yeah, good year. Y'all, that was the third ever 10 win season in school history. Third, only three, ever. I'm not talking about like, you know, teams that just roll out of bed and win 10, and that's just, the, you know, that's the status quo. We're talking about the third best season ever, arguably, in the history of Oregon State football. And, you know, they finished the season, and people say, well, oh, Florida's a dumb, you know, Florida was terrible. Okay, you beat an SEC team 30 to 3. I don't care what the circumstances are. That's doing work, all right? That is doing work. You went by four touchdowns against a team with NFL talent. That's doing work. I don't care what the circumstances are. Now, here's the problem. We all know Oregon State can run the ball, right? We all remember there were times in which they completely abandoned the pass and put it all together offensively by just being completely one-dimensional and establishing their line of scrimmage play and just getting after folks? Well, the good news is you bring four back along the offensive line. That's encouraging. Uh, But are you really going to compete for championships by exclusively running the football? People might say, well, no, not in today's day and age. Now, I think you can, but the pathway to victory is a little bit more narrow if you live the way Oregon State lived in 2022. Here's the good news. You bring in DJ Uwe Now, you're going to say, well, DJ wasn't great at Clemson. Fair. I get that. I think that there's a lot of room for growth with DJ, but remember what DJ was in 2020. Go back and watch the game against Boston College. Go back and watch the game against Notre Dame. Those were two... Fine football teams. He looked pretty composed in those two games. Now, in 21 and 22, didn't look quite as good. A little rattled. I feel like it carried over. There were some other things that had an impact on D.J. Uyunglele's play. But I'm cautiously optimistic that he can improve a passing offense that ranked 11th out of 12 in the Pac-12. Okay, I think you put him in right now. I don't think he's the 11th best quarterback in the Pac-12. I just don't. I think he has a chance with a fresh start with an offense. that's going to center around running the football. He's going to be able to hit play action. He'll be able to contribute a little bit with his own legs. And hey, he's going to have guys wide open. Why? Because if you bring four back off on an offensive line that can flat out mow you down, what do you think those safeties are going to be doing in the back end? They're going to be triggering on the run, which is going to leave one-on-ones downfield. I feel confident enough that DJ with good protection off play action, he can hit those guys. Now, if you put too much on this plate, yeah, he might crumble upon himself. But I still think the talent is there, and I think he's an immediate upgrade to Gulberson and the guys that they've had at quarterback in the last couple of years. Now, there are a couple of things for Oregon to take into account. We reference Penix, we reference Cam Rising, we reference Caleb Williams, we reference all these great quarterbacks that are going to just air it out and carve you up through the year. Well, it's not a great situation that you're going to have three guys that need to kind of be broken in in the secondary. You lose three back there, not ideal. It's not ideal at all. But you go out and you add a guy in the transfer portal, Omatosho, guy who transferred over from Wyoming. At Wyoming, he had six and a half sacks and 46 tackles. Another in a long line of guys now that are in the FCS and or the group of five that want to cycle up and try their hand at the highest levels of college football. Maybe Olawashi Omatosho. Olawashi Omatosho. I feel like that's pretty good, by the way, for January. I feel good about it. I think he's got a chance to be an immediate contributor there, along the defensive line of scrimmage. So keep an eye on that guy. And then finally, amongst the contenders, let's go to the Oregon Ducks. Much was made about Oregon and the season that they had last year. It was a season of runs. Some weeks they look great. Some weeks have a difficult time understanding what the heck they're doing. 49-3 against Georgia. We all found out as the season went along, nothing to to be ashamed of. But either way, got to play better than that against top-level competition. Obviously, win against North Carolina in the bowl game has people feeling pretty optimistic about what might be coming. But when Bo Nix decided that he was going to come back, that's when people really started to feel good about where they're at. Threw for nearly 3,600 yards in year number one with Dan Lanning there at Oregon. Obviously, offensive coordinator is gone, but either way, nearly 3,600 yards, 44 total touchdowns. Here's the bad news. You lose four guys off the offensive line. Obviously, that was a group that in recent years has been a proud group, has been a solid group, and to have to replace 80% of it won't be the easiest thing in the world. Now, they've been aggressive. They've gone out and they've tried to identify guys in the portal that could potentially come right in and play. Junior ongilau from Texas, Ajay Cornelius, he's coming in as well. A couple others that might potentially be thrust into the spot that have starting experience at other places. So they've obviously identified the issue they're trying to fortify it by way of the portal maybe they have a young guy or two that can step right in and be an immediate contributor either way the cornelius guy by the way from URI this guy's supposed to be the real deal everyone and their brother wanted him as an interior offensive lineman supposedly is the real deal i i'm not sitting here you know scouting uri tape all right i'm just saying like that's just what i heard if you haven't seen uri Check out their unis, great color combo, feel great about them. Either way, I think it's time to be very optimistic about what Dan Lanning's got going. They s- withstood what was a disappointing week one game, got hot. Bo Nix got a little banged up, didn't play great down the stretch, did okay down the stretch. Then Lanning goes out, lands the number eight recruiting class in the country. That's according to ESPN. Others had him around there as well. Clearly, things are go- going in the right direction if you're Oregon, especially knowing some of the uncertainty that surrounds Oregon. Are they going to be in the Pac 12? Are they leaving? Are this other stuff to go out and land top eight class? Got to feel good about how Dan Lanning attacked it on the recruiting trail. All right. Those are the contenders. Okay. But I think every single one of those teams right now, you could make a case. They are back page news compared to what's going on in Boulder, Colorado. Now, I, I've known Deion Sanders since I was 15. was very fortunate to have kind of grown up around the Dallas Cowboy program. Deion Sanders, of course, an integral part of the Dallas community. And Deion Sanders knows how to do one thing extremely well, and that's market. Whether it be himself, whether it be his program... Whether it be the people that are in his program, he knows how to move the needle. And I'm telling you, I look at my Twitter feed just like you guys do every single day. And the people that I follow, look, I, I don't follow a lot of folks, but I, most of the people that I follow are college football related content. It's most of what I just love it. That's what I want. That's the information I want to consume. Most of the people I follow, College football-related content. Now, with the exception of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and the usual suspects, the most information I'm getting right now is about Colorado. Why do you think that is? Because if you think it's because they're going to all of a sudden win the national championship, you're wrong. No, but it's because everybody's interested. Deion Sanders is a polarizing figure. A lot of people want him to fail. A lot of people want him to succeed. It doesn't necessarily matter what side of the aisle you're on. You feel a certain way about Deion Sanders. Now, I, I'm I'm not saying that how you should feel. I what you feel. How you, some people think that his motivations are purely, you know, it's all about him. Some people's like, oh, it's all about the kids. Like everyone feels differently about Deion Sanders becoming the head coach at Colorado. I don't care how you feel. All I know is that you do feel. You feel a certain way. That's why there's so much coverage about what's going on with Dion and his team. And if you look at how he's gone out and attacked the portal so far, now he had to, right? There was going to be turnover. The personnel that was there with the previous regime, probably not up to the par to where Dion wants it to be. He had to go out and he attacked the portal. We knew he would. We also knew that he would be very aggressive. And hey, if you don't want to be here, you don't want to be a part of it. All good. See you later. We're bringing our own luggage and it's Gucci or Louie, whatever he said. I don't know. Either way, expensive, right? <laughs> so you look at what he's gone out and gotten already. Now I'm not going to sit here and say the Colorado is all of a sudden an eight, nine, 10 win football team. I think if they get to a bowl game, that would be a phenomenal, phenomenal job well done for Dion and his staff. Because I do like the two coordinators you brought in. I think both, both offensively and defensively, they're in a great position to succeed. Sean Lewis, great coach. Great coach that does a lot of interesting things. Got that Wisconsin background, but also goes crazy hyper tempo. Like, Going to be exciting to see exactly what he does. And then on defense, you got Charles Kelly who, of course, has been around it for quite a while at both Alabama, played at Auburn, been at Florida State, been all over the place. So I think they got really good staff that they've been able to put together. But what I'm most intrigued by are the guys that are going to step right into spots from big-time schools. Now, I don't know if any of these guys are going to become the next Cam Newton. I'm not going to go as far as to say, well, this guy transferring in, he's going to change the game. No, but I look at where they're coming from. Leads me to believe that there's reason to be optimistic. Shador Sanders, of course, highly regarded player. That's Deion Sun. I'm shocked that he was able to get him to commit to Colorado. But either way, he got Shador Sanders, right? Four-star player. Travis Hunter, five-star player. Another five-star corner that just landed this past weekend. He's a freshman, but probably will start day one. You got Cavassier Smoke, formerly of Kentucky. He's heading to Colorado. You got Miles Slusher, formerly of Arkansas. He's heading to Colorado. You got Vontae Bentley, formerly of Clemson. He's heading to Colorado. You got Yusef Mugurbill. He's coming over from Florida to Colorado. He's playing along the line of scrimmage. You got a big-time tight end prospect in Sadie Traore from Arkansas State. A lot of people love his upside with the Red Wolves. Didn't get as many looks. But he got a decent amount of looks, but I don't think many people were going to see him at Arkansas State. Now he gets a chance, obviously, at Colorado to make some moves. You got Taylor Upsaw, who's coming over from Michigan to Colorado. And then you got Breedlove, a corner who's coming from Ole Miss to Colorado. You notice every one of those schools I listed Ole Miss, Arkansas, Michigan, Florida, Clemson. I mean, we're talking about real schools, real prospects. The Dion now has gone out and gotten. Now, you can tell me about the circumstances of why they're leaving. That's fine. I don't necessarily care. All I know is I bet you they're better than what Colorado had. So if you think that Dion hasn't improved the roster already, I think you're crazy. I'm very optimistic about what he's done so far, and I think that the amount of buzz he's creating is only going to benefit Colorado here in the years to come. Let's Talk About It is brought to you by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. This episode is brought to you by AT&T 5G. Fast, reliable, secure. Is checking your team's stats at 2 a.m., watching highlights while eating with buddies or catching the game during a wedding all too much? Nope, because too much college football is never too much, and AT&T 5G keeps you connected to all the action all year long. 5G requires compatible plan and device. 5G may not be available in your area. See ATT.com slash 5G for you for details. All right, let's get into it. We told you that we've been stockpiling questions. Continue to send them. AlwaysCollegeFootball at gmail.com. You can also send them via our social media at AlwaysCFB, both on Instagram and on Twitter. We're putting them in. We're going to start doing mailbags pretty much every show. Uh, Not every show, but a decent amount. So continue to send those in and we look forward to our interaction. We'll get to your questions as soon as humanly possible. Coop, let's kick it off. All right, first one, you mentioned it earlier, everybody wants to hear about Coach Prime, comes from Brett. Everyone is raving about Deion Sanders and how great Colorado could be in a year or two, but I'm pumping the brakes. Plenty of coaches have had great starts but fizzled out. What, if any, concerns
1: do you have about Coach Prime?
0: I, I have concerns because I feel like, and this, this is not exclusive to Coach Prime, Right. This is more big picture. Everyone just assumes, oh, well, you know, we, we got I'll tell you what it is. You know who ruins it for everybody? Josh Heupel, Sonny Dykes. Like, oh, hey, change the head coach. The head coach was the problem. It wasn't the player. The head coach was a problem. We're going to bring in this new guy. He's going to jumpstart the engine, and all of a sudden we're off to the races to you know ten wins every single year. Like that, it just doesn't happen that way. Uh, Colorado has been a very difficult destination for a really long time, and there has consistently been. Decent back and forth. Oh, we're going to invest and put the resources into the program that you need to be successful. And then they come back and say, No, 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 never mind. We're not going to do it now. Like, I remember when I took my visit to Colorado, and I feel like this was 15 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. I took an official visit to Colorado, and they were good. You know, (laughs) like, I mean, they were really good. I mean, Colorado there in the mid 2000s was legit. So, I mean, I took visits to Bama and, you know, and other places and whatnot. Colorado's in because it was one of my top five. Like, that was a really cool place at the time. Now, They have clearly fallen on hard times. They were in the big 12 at that point. So a lot's changed either way. You look at where Colorado is not a ton of in-state talent. So you need to make sure you go out and have a forward facing coach that everyone wants to go play for. They did that. I think that they're going to invest in the program. It feels like they're going to be a player in NIL. Uh, It just feels like all the right steps have been taken. You can make all the right steps. But there's still a possibility that you go out there in what is an improved league from top to bottom and go four and eight. It, it doesn't mean that the program is not better. It doesn't mean that they're not making improvements. But it means that there are stepping stones that you need to take as a program in order to get to a little bit more consistent relevance. And I think that right now, some of the buzz... Around Colorado, like we talked about, like some of the buzz is a little premature. I'm very excited, very, very excited about what they have. For instance, they go out and they get the top corner in high school football that's going to be playing and likely starting day one in college football. He's still a true freshman. Like, he's still a true freshman. Like, I went out there. At Alabama, we had a guy named D. Milner ended up going to the top 10 in the NFL draft two years later, and he got absolutely destroyed by Alshon Jeffrey throughout the course of a 60-minute game. Why? Because he was a freshman. It's not because he doesn't have talent. He's unbelievable. Five-star player in high school, five-star player in college, eventual top 10 pick in the NFL draft. He's still a freshman. There's growing pains, and there's going to be growing pains occasionally when there is transition. So while I'm optimistic about what Dion's doing, I just hope people don't think that the progress is stalled if he goes out and has a substandard season as far as wins and losses are concerned. All right. Next one comes from Steve in New Mexico. Why is the Pac-12 so overrated when on-field performance doesn't justify it? (laughs) How is it overrated? I feel like, if anything, the Pac-12 has been a punching bag so to speak. Hasn't gotten to the college football playoff. Hasn't performed well when given the opportunity to play in big non-conference games. Like, look at the Pac-12 last year, for instance, week one. We're sitting there saying, well, Pac-12's dead. Oregon lost to Georgia. Utah lost to Florida. All right, put them to bed. I mean, the Pac-12's not really overrated. They're also not really underrated. I think they're appropriately rated depending on where they're at. And I, for one, I think that the Pac-12 is actually improving. The problem with the Pac-12, and this has been the problem for as long as I've been covering the sport, I've been calling games for seven years, I've been in the sport for nine, or been you know, in this line of work for nine years. Nine seasons, which to me is still mind-blowing. Either way, nine seasons I've been doing this, seven games in the booth, and have called Pac-12 games in every single year. Here's the issue with the Pac-12. Team one... Versus team 10, the gap is not that wide. It's not that wide. Team 10 can beat team one any given Saturday. Why? Because team 10 might be playing at altitude and mile high environment. And, you know, team two might be a desert team. You go up to the Palouse, like you have all these different weather conditions, you have all these different variables, you're in different time zones, like I think playing in the Pac-12 is incredibly difficult. You could play a game at sub-zero temperatures one week and then play a game in the hundreds the next week. I mean, that's, to me, is mind-blowing. And the Pac-12 has never done themselves any favors as it relates to scheduling. Scheduling, to me, is... How about we don't take our best team our most likely team to get to the playoff. And you're going to say, Greg, this is soft. You shouldn't protect teams, whatever. They got to earn it. Fine. All right. Some road trips are more difficult than others, right? Would we all agree? Some road trips are more difficult than others. And if you are, say, SC, and you have real college football playoff aspirations, and you're the only team in the Pac-12 at the time that has those real expectations, hey, you know, let's not send them to Washington State on a short week where they got to play on a Friday night at 10:30 Eastern on FS1 when very few people are even, you know, dialed in let alone you're going to watch them lose. I mean, and then the next year you take Utah, who at the time was a real college football playoff contender, Utah's legit. That year 2017, 18, whatever year it was, hey, let's take them and make them play at SC on a Friday night. Like Short week, let's put them on arguably the most talented team in the entire league. Let's make them play there. And guess what? Matt Fink goes on to beat Utah, the backup quarterback. And Utah misses the playoffs as a result. So I don't think they're overrated. I just think they've really had dumb priorities when it comes to their scheduling model. So I hope that gets addressed at some point in the near future because they don't need to be making it harder on their playoff contenders. They need to make it more manageable on their playoff contenders, and that's what's
1: bit them in the past. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results. Fast.
0: All right, the Pac-12 will put a bow on it by doing this. One, we've already talked about the fact that it's a really good league. It's a highly entertaining league. You have a lot of different variations. Even some of the worst teams traditionally in the league in the last handful of years have been really fun to watch. Think about Arizona last year, Jed Fish's second year. Think about how much better they got. Think about how much they've improved. How about Oregon State? They were at one point one of the worst teams in all of Division I football. Now they're a 10-win football team. Cal, at times, has had great moments. In the last decade, we've seen Stanford perennially go to New Year's Six Bowl games. So this league has a ton of upward and downward mobility, which makes it highly entertaining. Here's the problem. The Pac-12 has always had horrendous priorities. Always. Let's be, and they've always had challenges as it relates to interest. Because people want to make the argument, well, there's a lot going on in these big cities, and they're not really in college towns. At the exception of Eugene, Corvallis, and Tucson, they're all in big cities and and Pullman. It's like, yeah, I guess, but you put a winner on the field, people are going to be there. And I think finally, with all due respect to Larry Scott, him being in charge of the league was an absolute disaster. His priorities were out of whack. The things that they did, as far as the Pac-12 network is concerned, were a joke. They put the Pac-12 headquarters right in downtown San Francisco, which was arguably the most expensive real estate in the country. They decided to move... They didn't put them in Reno. They didn't put them in you know Riverside. They put them in San Francisco, which costs a fortune, which means... As a result, every one of their high-level executives was making a fortune relative to that of their counterparts in other places. Where's the SEC? Birmingham, Alabama. How much do they pay in rent? $1 a year. Where's the ACC? Out in the middle of nowhere. Well, middle of nowhere is a bit of a stretch, but they're out removed from high-level expenses in North Carolina. Yes, the Big Ten's in Chicago, but for the most part, Big Ten can certainly afford to be in Chicago. All I'm saying is I feel like the league was painfully mismanaged for as long as I can remember. George Klyovkov's come in, and he's been dealt a bit of a tricky hand. With USC and UCLA's imminent move to the Big Ten, it's going to be difficult to try to put together a legitimate, I guess, media rights deal. But Either way, remove SC and UCLA for the moment because they are obviously lame ducks here in 2023. Think about even after they leave. Who's more exciting right now to you? Oregon or UCLA? Who's more exciting to you, Utah or UCLA? Who's more exciting to you, Washington or UCLA? And this is not me beating up on UCLA. All I'm saying is the league still has high quality even in the imminent departure of USC and UCLA, now are they going to add a, you know, San Diego State? Are they going to add a Fresno State? No, I'd be surprised. Are other schools likely still willing to answer the phone call from the Big Ten if and when it's made? Absolutely. But remove all the all the chaos, all the speculation. Remove all that just for the moment and just think about the quality of play on the field and think about how entertaining it is because ultimately this is all about entertainment. Tell me right now outside of maybe the SEC, tell me a league that is more entertaining right now because I personally, I'm not sure you can find one. The Pac-12 from top to bottom every given Saturday is going to deliver and if I'm a TV media rights holder. Yeah, you got to have audiences to sell ads. You got to have ads to be able to provide revenue. I understand the importance of eyeballs. But for me, as a diehard college football fan that will watch every game, regardless of what time it is, and yes, I have to sit there, you know, like clockwork orange at times at 1 o'clock in the morning, watching Oregon State against Cal on an iPad because I can't get Pac-12 network on my television. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I've even gone as far as to listen to the Sirius XM feed of Oregon State football games against SC because it was on Pac-12 and I couldn't get it. I couldn't stream it. So I listened to it on the radio. And I listened to the four interceptions that were thrown by Chance Nolan. So I remember, and I love this league. I think it's a phenomenally good league. I think it's highly entertaining. But I just think that we need to remain optimistic about what the league might look like even after the departure of USC and UCLA. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. We'll be here all off-season. We want you to be here along with us. We're going to break down games. We're going to break down teams. We're going to break down storylines. We're going to hit the tree topics, tree top topics, tree topics. Either way, we're going to hit all those here in the next several months before we get up to game day. Well, we're not that far away from spring ball getting underway. I mean, we're probably inside of a month for some schools, which is kind of crazy when you really think about it. We got a lot of recruiting to get to between now and then. Anyways, for Jack Foster, for Jake, for Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We really appreciate you being with us. This has been Always College Football with Greg McElroy presenting by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.